those songs like um, Strawberry Fields and Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, Helter Skelter, those are like really heavy songs that are going to be studied until the end of time. My name's Paul McCartney. This is Ringo Starr. This is John Lennon. I'm George Harrison. And I can't feel no more. Welcome back to the Here, There, and Everywhere podcast. I'm your host, Jack Lawless. Today, I have the honor of introducing a modern-day music icon onto the podcast. No other than the legendary Jeremiah Freights of the Lumineers. There's no doubt that Jeremiah has been one of the most influential musicians of the last two decades, with many current artists citing the Lumineers as an influence. Jeremiah is a songwriter and multi-instrumentalist for the band, and also a critically acclaimed solo artist. In this episode, we're going to dive deep into Jeremiah's influences, how he discovered the Beatles and his love for music, how it feels to be in one of the most influential bands in music at the moment, and so much more. Now, I've loved the Lumineers' music ever since I was in high school, so this episode is definitely one of my favorites. So let's jump into the discussion. Hey, Jeremiah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Jack. Thanks for having me. Of course. I admire your work as a musician and a creative so, so much, and I can't wait to dive into our conversation. I I just have so many questions. Um, But can you start by telling us what got you into music? How did you discover your love for music in general? I think for me, music... It wasn't something I even chose. You know, I met a lot of people over my life that say things to me like, oh, I wish I could play guitar. I wish I could play piano. Um, For me, like, it never was something that I chose to do. I really feel like I was... I feel like I started at a later age, though, than most people. I I was... One of my first earliest memories of music was me and my brother. My brother, we had, like, a three- or four-year age gap. And um, he bought, I feel like, Mozart. He got a CD of Mozart, I want to say, and I got a CD of Beethoven. And I'd be like, Beethoven's sicker. And he was like, no, Mozart. And uh, so it was just classical music. And I remember we had this really old school, sort of like cool stereo in our house in New Jersey where we grew up. We put the CD in, you know, and all that. And really fell in love with Beethoven at an early age. Probably didn't start. We had an old organ in my house um, that I messed around with. And my mom, you know, she always kind of reminds me and tells all these people, she's, you never really touched the piano or the organ like most kids did. A lot of kids would go up and like sort of smash it with all their hands and bang it or whatever. She said, I sort of approached it from this like curiosity, this sort of sensitive touch, you know, I don't know, like all the almost invent, like observing it or, or, you know, just curious about it. And I thought that was kind of neat. But yeah, I think music really always in me and when i got a drum set summer of eighth grade going into freshman year of high school so probably around 13 or 14 um getting that drum set really everything changed you know i got into drums 
learning drums and then my love of piano came back. So, you know, by the time I was 17, 18, I'd already been in a few different bands and I was like, I never want to be in a band with a singer. I arrogantly thought that like everything that had been sung about had already been sung about, if that makes sense. Like things about love and life and heartbreak and all that stuff. It was like, you know, I'll never be with a lyricist. I just want to make instrumental music and I like complicated music and all that. And was making a lot of music. And was actually, believe it or not, making sort of these like rap and hip hop beats, these instrumental beats. We didn't even have anybody to, to, to give them to, but me and my buddy Justin. My dream, I think, at the time was to become like a producer, like Timbaland or even a Dr. Dre, like somebody that's, or Rick Rubin, somebody that's in the studio. It's not necessarily creating, but was sort of like overseeing other bands and artists, working with them to bring their dream and vision to light. I always really loved being in the studio a lot. And when Wes came back from university, he wanted to start a band with this guy, Justin. And Justin said, well, not without Jair. So then that's how the Lumineers started, um, sort of, you know, making a long story short. So it was interesting that when I met Wes, um, you know, we were making, we were covering bands like Tom Petty and Coldplay and Bob Dylan and Sublime. Wes had already brought some songs of his to the table. And then, you know, again, paraphrasing a lot of history, probably over the next seven years, me and Wes had probably written close to 75 plus songs, even before the self-titled, the first Lumineers record came out. So, um, yeah, music. I would say in high school, everything changed drastically for me with my love of music. Big time. It sounds like you have such a diverse group of influences. I'm wondering how you came across the Beatles for the first time. What were your thoughts when you first heard them? And where does their music come into play in terms of your influences? I heard the Beatles, probably was through Friends, maybe the odd song on the radio, like Eleanor Rigby. Or, um, you know, really, honestly, too, I heard a lot of their music. Uh, I remember there was a Target commercial that ran on the East Coast in Jersey uh, that had one of their songs. And I honestly kind of loathed the Beatles when I first heard them. I didn't like them. I thought it sounded too sugary, too polished. I didn't think there was any heart or soul. Again, this is me, like the know-it-all arrogant teenager talking. And I don't know when it changed, but then at some point in my life, it did like the 180. Which happens to a lot of bands that I fell fallen in love with. The same thing happened when I first heard my favorite band of all time, Radiohead. Um, hated them, and then switched. Like I heard, you know, I don't know what song it was for the Beatles, but I want to say that I always thought they were like because you'd only hear the hits if you're not digging into their catalog. You were just hearing the hits on the radio. I feel like or in commercials, the really really poppy stuff. Which is not always the best way to get into a band, obviously. You know, you got to go dig deep and you'll then you're hearing the really beautiful music and the art. So I feel like my recollection was the first time I heard A Day in the Life. Like the first time I really got that song, I don't remember where or when, but I just remember at some point being like, wow, that's one of the coolest songs I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, how do you write something like that? The lyrics, all the changes, how it changes drastically and then comes back to the verse melody in the verse after that big crazy um you know i want to turn you on that whole it's just like a psychotic it's almost like their bohemian rhapsody where it there's all these changes and somehow it just makes sense 
I was like, how the hell do you write a song like that? And, you know, it's hard to kind of talk about them when you're talking about your own music. It's almost like if you were talking about a soccer player trying to like compare yourself to Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, it's like, you know, you have to really, you feel like you're walking on eggshells because you're talking about comparing yourself to like one of the best bands of all time. So I would say though, if anyone listening to this, listened to our last album, Bright Side, I would say, I, I love this quote. I think Albert Einstein said it. I think he said, I think it said something to the effect of genius is hiding your influences. Or no, sorry. Creativity is hiding your influences. Something like that. Creativity is the ability to hide your influences, which I think is really profound. And I think that, you know, you never want to sound like the Beatles. You never want to sound like any other band, for that matter, when you're in a band and you're creating. Inevitable, those influences seep into your music. and. I would say anyone that's listened to our last album, Bright Side, there's two songs on there in particular, AM Radio and Birthday. Birthday, really, I feel like you can hear a Beatles influence. The way I came in with this drum fill, you can really hear the influence from um, uh, Come Together, that sort of amazing drum beat that Ringo, Ringo uses the whole drum set. And I think that that seeped into my uh, head big time when making that the drums on that song. And even when me and West, the singer of Numeners, wrote that song together, the way the um, chord structures and the the usage of sevenths and all that sort of nerdy stuff, again, it feels like one could make the connection. Oh, maybe these guys had listened to the Beatles at some point. So again, you're trying to draw that fine line. And then I think with the song AM Radio, there's this really great, um, you know, change where if you listen to the song AM Radio, like the first minute and a half, we don't actually get to the chorus. And then out of nowhere, you sort of have this like, doo, doo. and I think that that was almost, um, you know, paying homage in some way to uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, where you have this sort of idea, and then quite literally you have, you know, it just seemed you know, like, what the hell? Where did that come from? That surprise, that left turn out of nowhere. I think that um, you know there was a, there was something that excited us about trying to do that in one of our songs, and I think AM Radio. Again, I'd like to think we did it in a masterful way where somebody wouldn't be like, "Oh, they ripped off the Beatles." But at the end of the day, you know, amateurs borrow, professionals steal. So if you're going to steal, you should steal from the Beatles. <laughs> they're they're really one of the best bands ever, and I would say like one of their mantras. Um, when me and Wes were writing a lot of the Lumineer stuff, you know, we had heard that either John Lennon or Paul McCartney had said something along the lines of, when you come up with a melodic idea and you think it's your chorus, make that a verse and then try to write a new chorus. And that's really hard to do. It's almost impossible to do if you literally try to do that. But honestly, it's almost frightening because when you listen to the Beatles, it seems like they actually did that. You pick any song, um, you probably know the names better than I do, but if you think of the top five songs that you jack like more than any other Beatles song, pick five in your own head, almost every verse is just as catchy as any chorus. Like their worst verse 
it's some people's most bands best courses even like hey jude that verse is ridiculous come together that verse is ridiculous um like so many verses of the beatles are some bands best courses and then they had courses which is even crazier so yeah i don't know how the beatles did it and they did it also within about what seven years something crazy so yeah it's it's pretty hard to talk about them sometimes because it it makes me feel um I, I heard a quote the other day i think it was comparison is the death of joy something like that and i think that when i start to think about the Lumineers and the beatles um i think it almost makes me feel physically like sick <laughs> like feeling smaller because you're, you're just com- you're like inevitably comparing yourself i think what we're doing is cruel it's really cool i'm proud of our music but um yeah when you talk when you try to compare yourself to the beatles you're inevitably going to fall short what those guys did in that amount of time at that rate at which they were doing it um it's really profound yeah, I mean, at this point, it's hard not to copy the Beatles musically, or at, at least like hard not to copy bands that were influenced by the Beatles. And, you know, I think many bands would say the exact same thing about the Lumineers. I mean, you guys trailblazed an entire genre in the last decade. How does it feel to now be in the position where you're, you're now the major influence on people's music? No, it's a really cool question. I've never been asked that before. And I've been thinking about that recently, so it's a great time to answer this question. I think it almost feels like a little bit of imposter syndrome takes over because I'll give you two good examples. Um, Wes, the singer, he just put out a song with Noah Kahan. And then Noah, we were at the same festival in Boston, I think. And he came on stage with us on the Lumineer set and performed with us. and he was just like you guys i love you guys i can't believe i'm here i love your guys music i grew up listening to your music this is so crazy and that meant a lot to listen to his music then and be like wow this guy's really talented he's awesome he's making great choices in the studio he knows how to write songs his lyrics are really interesting when i sent him really a a message he had posted something on his instagram noah where it was a live version back like backstage green room, just acoustic. And I emailed him and was like, dude, this is awesome. This is like, you know, breaking my heart, blowing my mind, super cool. And he was just like, thanks, man. Like wouldn't exist without the Lumineers, none of this music. And I think that really blew my mind where I'm seeing this guy blow up. He's touring all over the world. He's got great streaming numbers he's probably got more followers on social media than we do. Like he's just truly like blowing up and killing it and crushing it. And it's so, I don't know. I don't even know if it's humbling. It actually is. It also like makes me feel really, really good. I don't even like, it's just almost losing words about how that makes me feel that it's crazy that we inspired him in some way. And the same thing happened. We just put out a song with this guy, Zach Bryan, a song called spotless. And I FaceTimed, I did it remotely. I FaceTimed um, with Zach, my piano part and some ideas I was doing. And again, he prefaced it. He's like, dude, this is amazing. I can't believe I'm talking to you. Like any piano you do, I'm going to love. He told me on the phone call, any piano he has on his record is sort of directly influenced by what I'm doing. And it was like, 
it was a conversation that I would find myself having with Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead. If Johnny Greenwood ever did something with us, like, dude, you could do anything on guitar and we're going to keep it because I love you so much. But you do. So it was really, yeah, I don't know. It was really something. It was really cool to, uh, to experience that, to feel that and to feel the same level of respect and awe back at those two artists, Noah Kahan and Zach Bryan, and to see them crushing it also, um, pretty surreal. Like, you know, sometimes people too, they'd be like, well, you know, you're in the Lumineers. Like, as if that means something the way, the same way, like I would say to like, well, dude, you're in Coldplay. Your life is fine. Like, I'm sure people, the members of Coldplay now understand what that means. I, I I don't know if I know what that means yet. When people are like, you're in the Lumineers. I'm like, yeah, that's the band I'm in that we started 18, 19 years ago. But I don't know what that means to the rest of the world. I just know what it means to me that like I feel like we still have scratched the surface of, of what we're capable of cre- creatively speaking. And I think that's really where the Beatles come into influence, where... um. I think Bob Dylan may have said to Paul or John, like, I think he kind of dug into them a little bit. I think he said something like, you guys are like, you guys are pretty like vanilla. You guys are making like bubblegum pop. And I think that that really like hurt them. And then they made, uh, what's the album with Helter Skelter on it? Like the super dark. Oh, the white album. Yeah. Like, I think that they were like, okay, Bob. Cause like, you know, I want to hold your hand like that. That's a Beatles song where I'm like, that was a song I probably got introduced to in my high school era. And I was like, like this music sucks. Like (laughs) these lyrics are not interesting. It's bubblegum pop. It's like, I want to get with your gal. And like, it just didn't do anything for me creatively. And then you listen to the white album and you're like, Oh my God, like this is heavy. And the lyrics change the lyrics start. They start talking about stuff the chord structures got you know way out there and those songs like um strawberry fields and lucy in the sky with diamonds helter skelter those are like really heavy songs that are going to be studied until the end of time their chord structures how the melodies uh lyrically everything about that the time signature changes the tempo changes i mean even a day in the life like those those songs are crazy and I think when I heard those, it, it then gave more credence and it gave more. Um, it made me love, though, then ironically, I want to hold your hand and can't buy me love and the sweeter sounding songs where I was like, it was almost like Matthew McConaughey as a great parallel. He was in all these like rom-coms. And I don't I think the world at large was like, he's a bankable actor, you know, Every studio is like, let's put him in a rom-com and he'll deliver. And I read this in, I saw this interview where he was talking about, he said no to a lot of projects and then all the rom-coms disappeared. And I think he thought like, oh crap, my career's over. I've just like, I'm, I'm done. And I think he said he turned down like a $20 million contract for a movie because he was like long-term, I want to be seen as a real actor. And then sure enough, he got the true detective call that changed his whole like career. And then he was in like True Detective, Interstellar, and uh, all these movies that changed his career. And now uh, Wolf of Wall Street. And then people were like, holy cow, this dude can act and he can do all this stuff. And I think 
that's almost a parallel I had with the Beatles where I was like, again, as an arrogant know-it-all 17-year-old, I was like, this is all they're good for. I, I don't like their music, but I, but I still respected them. And then I changed into like, I love their music. And anytime I've ever heard someone say like, I hate the Beatles, I'll get like pretty emotionally invested into it where I'm like, I, I you can hate them, but you can't say they suck. It's like, it for me, it'd be like saying like, the writing of Harry Potter sucks or the writing of Shakespeare sucks. It's like, you could not like the poetry. You could not like the plays. You could not like the, the, the books that they wrote, the stories, but categorically the writing is like superb. That's the way I feel about the Beatles. Like, even if you hate their music, I'll get like emotionally invested where I'm like, yeah, but trust me as someone that writes songs and tries to write songs, like their stuff is like, I respect if you hate it, but you can't say they suck or you can't say that they like didn't know how to play their instruments because the, what they were doing intentionally on those, all those records was like really uh, mind blowing. And, you know, I don't think we'll be repeated anytime soon. I don't think we'll see another band in our lifetime that will do that. Maybe in 30, 40 years, we'll start to see a new band emerge that might do that, but I don't even know. It might, it might be another century, you know, another hundred years before another band even, comes close to to doing what they did in such a short period of time um really like it's hard to put into words yeah yeah definitely i mean i think part of the reason why they're still incredibly popular is because like when they were leading the entire 60s like they were leading the pack they were spearheading all of the changes being made to popular music um but while they were doing that they were still writing music about what meant the most to them. So I guess like as a creative yourself, how do you in the Lumineers, how do you innovate and try to find new sounds while still maintaining musical integrity and making songs that are true to you? I think there's a lot of things that go into it. I think one, two good examples are probably, you know, arguably our biggest songs with Ho Hey and Ophelia. I think that once you have the song written and you see what it is, Meaning like, okay, this is the tempo, this is the key, these are all the lyrics, these are all the melodies, this is the demo of the song. Um, once you decide to immortalize it in the studio, that's sort of the most intense and most important moment of your life, if you think of it that way. Because um, some people look at themselves as a, a live band, some people look at themselves as a studio band. I've always considered us both. I think if you're a band like Fish you know, Grateful Dead, you're really like, let's make records, but the live is really where it's at. Even Dave Matthews Band, they made cool records, but live, it was like, it's another, um, it's a whole nother skill set. And it's incredibly talented that these people are able to go up every night and improvise and innovate. I think that um, it's incredibly difficult. But with the Lumineers, um, it's trying to do things that are differently, but you got to be careful. You never want to just do things differently just to be different. And I'll give you a good example. If you listen to Hohe and you listen to uh, Ophelia, um, I think if you gave that song to 99 other drummers, I think that I probably would have been the only one to, to lay down those drums or lack thereof. I think after every Lumineers concert, even before the first album broke, one of the best one of the biggest assets that me and Wes had was that we would talk the next day over coffee 
usually at a diner or over some beers after the show, we would talk about what did we do good? And then more importantly, what can we do better? And I think that all the decisions you make as a band, that's like half of it. And then it's like all the things that you say, let's not do this, this, and this. That's almost more important. I've always thought about, I, I don't know if it makes sense, but I've always thought of that in my head. All the things that you don't do are actually going to be more important to your career. And you see that with like famous directors, whether it's Stanley Kubrick, M. Night Shyamalan, Alfred Hitchcock. They all had these things that they didn't do, which it's a little bit like semantics, the things you are doing or things you're not doing. But I guess what I'm trying to say specifically is with those two songs, Hohe and Ophelia um, could have laid down some drums, drum set, um, kick drum, snare drum, maybe some hi-hats. And I think those songs would have been not what they became and not how they are remembered for people. And I think that if you listen you'll hear a lot of foot stomps. Um, I'm a big fan of like recording knuckles on the piano and on knuckles on wood. If you listen to our music with headphones, I would say in the last record, Bright Side, it was probably the, the most like traditional drum set stuff you'll ever hear from me. If you listen to album one, I think there's probably like seven crash cymbals on the whole album. And that was all intentional. And that's where maybe now I'm starting to make sense all the things we decided not to do made that first record stand out more uh the song slow it down one of my favorite recordings of all time that we did wes was in our living room sort of in like a little office we put a guitar amp in the kitchen we opened up a window i put a mic out the window for some noise ambience of the earth birds whatever and that's the recording now when we went into the studio to actually re-record that whole album because we had all these demos and we had to sort of re-record all the demos to make it to the real recording. The producer at the time wanted us to redo that and try to capture the magic. And Wes did a bunch of takes, maybe five, 10 takes to slow it down. But the take we captured in our house in Denver, Colorado, with the window open and the kitchen recording and the, just how janky it was, that was the magic. And if you listen, you can hear those stuff. And even like we added bass to that song, we deleted the bass. I tried adding drums and we have drums on that song live, which is just a kick drum and tambourine. But again, the immortalization of that song was just the guitar and vocals. And even the way Ho Hey builds and the way Ophelia builds, there's like subtle kick drum recordings and some, some subtle floor tom overdubs and stuff. But the majority of that track is me, Wes, and the producer, Simon Felice, stomping on wood and trying to be like we know we can't reinvent the wheel in 2023 at the time 2012 2015 for the second album but how can we like try to put our little thumbprint our dna on this um without you know trying to be so weird just for the sake of being weird so it's those little things i think that help uh maybe have somebody else play the tambourine so it's not me overdubbing it so then you have this sort of interesting layering of different people's rhythms and stuff. I think there's all these things that, I mean, I could talk to you for probably 15 hours straight about all the nitty gritty nerdy stuff that we do. And all the, every, you know, you could pick a Lumineer song and ask me, and I could tell you X, Y, and Z about why we made the decision about this guitar amp setting or the reverb on Wes's vocal, or the lack of reverb on Wes's vocal, or why are there drums 
on this song and why are there no drums on slow it down you know i could talk to the cows come 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 home about that but i think that trying to immortalize the records and there's been songs in my mind that i won't say where i'm like damn i wish we recorded that song a little bit faster for the studio version but i think that we got the majority of our songs i think we did it right in the studio that's a big pressure you have as an artist you're like you 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 know you bleed and you sweat and you cry to finish those albums metaphorically and actually sometimes and you hope you get it right live is a different ball game live you can take some liberties where you're like well we did that in the recording but let's do this live let's add some drums let's make it a little bit faster whatever it might be but i think that i don't know what the lumineers will be remembered as i feel like I've heard an overwhelming amount that maybe we're considered the live band. I think that we play really well together, the six of us. You know, we all love each other. We respect each other. We've all been playing together for so long now that the live concert, I think, does something to people. I think it connects with people. I think that when we play small shows, I'd like to think we have this ability to make it feel big. And conversely, I think when we play big shows, um, we somehow capture an intimacy that might not be there in a stadium, you know? And I think that the records, the studio side, um, that's actually my favorite part of being in a band of being an artist is the studio. It's really like, it's such an addicting, fun, interesting thing to, to be a part of. And, uh, I, I think we've, I think we've done a, a good job of trying to capture our records. Um, on wax, so to speak. Oh my God. Yeah. They're the most incredible records of the last decade or two. means a lot, man. Again, like that, that, yeah, that means a lot. And sometimes you'll listen to like what the Beatles are doing or Radiohead or even someone more modern, like Billie Eilish. And you're like, man, how do you get the drums to sound so big or this or that? And it's just funny to, it actually is like funny to me that maybe another artist is like listening to one of our songs. Like, how did you get this to sound like that? You're like, I don't know, we just recorded it. This is at the end of the day, too. You're like, well, we just we just thought that sounded good. There's not really too much. There's not much more than that. Like in the studio, you're listening to stuff for references, for inspiration. Maybe it's an old Bowie track, maybe it's an old Chili, Red Hot Chili Peppers track, maybe it's a Dolly Parton song. You know, you find inspiration in the studio in the strangest of places, but you listen to stuff and you're like, that was cool. And of course, you never want to rip off or try to like steal anything. Um, but you, you get inspired and you're like, well, that was really cool. How'd they do that? Well, let's try to do something that maybe is similar, but still like with the Lumineers, uh, thumbprint on it. So, you know, speaking of your live shows and studio albums, do you have a favorite Lumineer song to perform live or listen back to when you're going through your discography? Yeah, I think one of the most, one of my favorite songs to perform to this day is still, um, Sleep on the Floor and Salt in the Sea. Sleep on the Floor is a song that um, I just think it's one of the best songs I've ever written, to be honest. I love that song. I've never gotten tired of playing that song. And every night, it just gets a huge reaction from the crowd. And selfishly, it's just so fun to play. I've literally never got, I've like, you know, some nights you're on the road and you're out there doing 100 shows plus per year and you get a little road weary. But for whatever reason, that song, it always goes by like that. It's just, it's so fun to play. And um, another song I really love is from 
third album, three, Salt in the Sea, where I just think it's such a fun song to play. It's such a different song uh, for the Lumineer sound. That song is one of those songs that I think, in my mind, the same way I felt about the Beatles, like, oh, I just know them for Ho Hey and Ophelia and Stubborn Love. Let me hear something with a tad more darkness to it. You show them My Cell, Salt and Sea, or Jimmy Sparks, and then they're like, oh, I didn't know they also dipped their toes in this, which then I hope when they go back and listen to those other songs they just mentioned, they're like, oh, cool. There's like a lot of intentionalness going on with this band, but yeah, Salt in the Sea, like I just heard a live snippet of that on social media the other day and I was like, damn, that sounds really cool. <laughs> uh, sometimes you listen to your own, yourself and you know, you kind of wince and you cringe and you're like, ah, I can't listen to myself. But I heard that the other day randomly. I was like, wow, that sounds huge and that's cool. I'm proud of that. That's neat. One of my favorite things about the Lumineers concert that I went to a few weeks ago is that you guys come out of the gate with your top hits like Ho Hey and Cleopatra or Ophelia right away. Yeah. But then you go on to perform a two hour show and it's just like, oh my gosh, wow, you don't stop bringing the hits. You know, to an average fan, they're probably thinking, oh wow, I didn't know they sing this song too. I love this song. And just, I think it's the same thing with the Beatles, just to make another connection between you guys and the Beatles, if you're an average Beatles fan and you put their music on shuffle, I bet you'll listen to a few songs and think, oh, wow, I didn't I didn't know they sang this one, too. That means a lot, man. I think like. You know, that that's a huge honor, and I think that. I think that there's two ways to approach the studio experience, which will inevitably influence the rest of your career and your live performance is, and I guess what I'm trying to say is like, there's bands that when they come out with the first record, maybe you have a hit, a hit single. And out of fear of becoming a one hit wonder, you try to replicate that and duplicate that. You talk to any artist, it's almost impossible to do it once. And to try to do it again is like a fool's game. And I think that what happens sometimes is people will just worry about certain artists and I'm not going to name any, but I've definitely like fallen in love with artists that maybe start off with like, Oh, they had a single. That was a really cool single. And then they released their, their follow-up album. And like, you can kind of tell like, okay, on the follow-up album, they had the song that was really good. Maybe it was another hit single. Maybe it was another pop hit. And then you listen to the other tracks and you're like, man, you can just tell they didn't work on these. They worked on this song. 90% of the time, maybe they hired like Max Martin or Rick Rubin or like a big time Ryan Tedder, like a big time producer to like ensure that because and then I mean, you can live, uh, you can have a career like that, though. you can do that. You can have, you know, a hit single and then an OK album and then you can have a follow up album and you can have a hit single or something that's even just good enough. And then like the rest of the album can be like, eh. And you can you can have a career. You can you can tour the country. You can tour the world, playing twenty five to five thousand capacity venues, maybe even bigger. And you can survive as a band because never underestimate the power of one good song. People will literally go to an artist just to see that one song. And I think our way of dealing with that was that we literally play "Ho Hey" either second or third in our set, and we've been doing that since that song came out 
that was our way of being like, if people are here just to hear that song, here it is. It's like within the first 10 minutes of our set. And if that's all you were here for, there's the door. And then the rest of the fans can stay. And I think that that was our way of being like, let's see what we're made of as a band. And I think that me and Wes, when we make records, we never wanted to be a band where people would hit skip, skip, skip. Oh, here's the song I heard on that movie or commercial skip, skip, skip. And I think with first album, we really had all this intent to like, you're going to hear, um, what is it? Flowers in your hair. And then I think it goes into classic girls. It was maybe and then submarines. I honestly forget, but I think then like, Oh, okay. Album two, Cleopatra, you're going to start off to sleep on the floor with this like weird, we called it the demon trucker sample. It reminded us of like this possessed demon trucker. And then these big drums, into Ophelia and we were like holy cow what a way to start a record and then three started with, with this dreamy Donna and uh you know with album four bright side starting off with these huge drums bright the self-titled song bright side um there was all this intent that we were like we want to be a band that people listen to when they're going through stuff in their life good stuff bad stuff when they're moving across the country or going on a road trip with their friends they want to like listen to this album and not be like you know remember ipods where you could just pick like the one song you like from the band and then you could we never wanted to be like an ipod band where it's like oh that lumineers band let's throw on that one song and then like let's change it like i love the idea of someone being like yo i drove from i don't know Portland, Oregon, down in LA, and we listened to like Cleopatra the Hulk, and it's just we never wanted to skip it once. And that's why I fell in love with some of my favorite bands. I mean, Dr. Dog's album Fate did that for me, where I don't want to skip one song. Uh, Bright Eyes, I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning. Um, pretty much every Radiohead album for me, because I'm a diehard fan. Uh, the first two albums of Coldplay, there's just these records that really touched me in a way where I'm like, I wouldn't change one thing about this record i wouldn't i would never skip it a song and uh you know if we're if we can do that for other bands and um that would that's all i would really want i think i think you've definitely accomplished that because that's exactly the way that i listen to the lumineers there's something very redeeming about listening to the lumineers like if if i listen to a lumineers album on a car ride it's almost like the equivalent of going to church on like a Sunday. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> it's, it just feels very good for the soul. And and speaking of albums, you mentioned the White Album earlier. Do you have a favorite Beatles album or a favorite Beatles song? Uh, what is a day in the a day in the life is my favorite Beatles song. I mean, it's it's honestly, it's a close second to a. Is it two of us? Yeah, two of yep. us wearing raincoats. I, I probably I probably like flip flop between those two songs. Um, I'm usually not a guy that will say like, "Oh, the big hit is going to be my favorite song by a band." And I think people that really love music that really love music, it's probably generally that's probably the case for them. It's pretty unlikely that like your favorite Tom Petty song is going to be free falling, incredible song, but you're probably going to be like, "Oh, running down a dream," which in its own right is another big hit. But do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think yeah. for me, um, I can't tell which one I like more. I'd probably have to go with a day in the life. There's something about that song that's so sad and melancholy, and so interesting, and the way the drums sound, the way they feel, 
Mm. Um, so what record is that off of? That's on Sgt. Pepper. Do you know like every Beatles, like if I asked you trivia, do you know it all pretty much? <laughs> yes. Yes. Probably. Hopefully. Hopefully I know it all. <laughs> I just watched that really long documentary that, you know, got a lot of attention and it was incredible. I think the one that Peter Jackson did. Oh, get back. Yeah, and it was incredible. I mean, it just like watching Paul bring in. Um, oh, that's another song uh, I really love. What album is that on? Uh, Paul brings in, the, he's playing Let It Be, which I love. But there's another song, Slumber, Golden Slumber. Oh, Golden Slumbers. What album is that? That's on Abbey Road. Yeah, the whole second side of Abbey Road is just, you know, medley of song after song, and it all leads into each other, and it builds to a crescendo with Golden Slumbers and Carry That Weight. Yeah, that might be, that album might might be, might be my favorite. I mean, that song too, Golden Slumbers, when I hear that, I'm just like, wow, like, how do you, it's just right out of the gates. There's all these crazy chord changes, and then going to Carry That Weight, it's just incredible, but... So maybe that one, Sergeant Peppers, I know, but I think I think that's one where I still struggle with a little bit because that one has a lot of crazy changes, right? Every song is like pretty like whimsical, and I, I I'd have to almost look on a, a CD track listing, but let's go with um, let's go with Abbey Road. Very cool. And what do you think it is about the Beatles that makes them still relevant to audiences today? And what do you think? is the secret to making timeless music. I think the Beatles are still relevant today just because of the power of their melodies. Um, again, like the worst Beatles song is probably a lot of bands' best best song. That's how good they were, truly. And I think that timeless music, almost like the power of a song or even the power of song, capital S, again, never underestimate that. Artists like Dolly Parton and Bob Dylan and the Beatles and Elvis and countless others, um, Leonard Cohen, these are people that made songs that will be covered until the end of time because they were just that good. And I think Pink Floyd is another great example where that word timeless, what is timeless? It's just, it, it's like, it's weatherproof, it's timeproof. It never really starts to age, never really starts to feel like, Oh wow, that's such a '90s sound. Oh wow, that's such like a early 2000s sound. It just ages so well, and I think the Beatles um, did that perfectly. Yeah, I completely agree with you. So, Jeremiah, are you making any new music currently? I know you guys are on tour right now, but are you planning on coming out with any new projects soon? Yeah, so I just released an album with a buddy of mine. This Taylor Dupree record. It's called Northern Redux. It's a remix of his album called Northern. Um, it's on my Spotify and my, all my streaming stuff too, as Jeremiah Freights. It's a new album that just came out this year. And it's a lot of piano that I wrote that in some sort of way, it's sort of an extension of um, piano, piano and piano, piano is a record I released uh, two or three years ago. It's an instrumental record I wrote that is around revolves around the piano, but is um, yeah, something I really am proud of. And that was a record that my wife came up with the title Piano Piano. She's Italian and Piano Piano translates to uh, Little by Little. And that was a great album title that she came up with because those piano ideas were the better part of 10 years um, in the making. So the fact that it took that long to make that record didn't literally take that long. But I put that out 
and I'm working on Piano Piano 2 actually right now, and I hope to release that sometime next year with a subsequent tour, both in Europe and the United States, of course. Um, but yeah, this new album, Northern Redux, it's me as Jeremiah Freitz and this guy Taylor Dupree. Um, it's really a cool record. I'd really highly recommend checking it out if you're going on a walk or driving. Wear some headphones, take a walk around your city or the woods or something. A lot of new piano. It's sort of an sort of an extension of my piano piano stuff. But and I'm really excited about um, working on this new piano piano record as well. Awesome. And I'm gonna leave all of those links in the podcast description oh, so cool. anyone listening can go click on those as they're listening. Thanks, man. And Jeremiah, I just wanted to thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's really been a a true honor to be able to speak with you today. Likewise. Thanks, Jack. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Here, There, and Everywhere podcast. I just wanted to give another big thank you to Jeremiah Freights for coming on the podcast. Please check out his solo album linked in the podcast description, and be sure to follow the Lumineers on all social media if you don't already. If you liked this episode, be sure to rate it and leave a review and subscribe to this podcast. Follow at Beatles Earth on all social media for more updates. And as always, I'll see you next week with a brand new episode.